Good morning. morning. As Pastor Brad mentioned, I I am given the privilege to speak two or three times a year, and every time that I do, I'm so I'm so humbled by the opportunity to stand and share God's word with you. So I hope you all had a, a wonderful Thanksgiving. It's great to see you here, and those of you watching online. Uh, I ran into Jared on the way to the restroom. I asked, I said, "How was Thanksgiving?" He had a great word, yummy. <laughs> yep, I agree wholeheartedly. So as Pastor Brad said, uh, I'm concluding our eight-week series through the book of Acts. And I titled today's message, Between Sundays. And he already, he already alluded to that a little bit, but that might not mean anything to you right now, but hopefully by the time we get to the end, it certainly will. So Acts was written by Luke, Dr. Luke, and we considered an accurate historical record of the early church. It's filled with lessons and living examples of the work of the Holy Spirit, church relationships, the implication of grace, and the law of love. We have the last four weeks had a big idea each week that we talked about. A few weeks ago, Pastor Brad talked about Jesus saves and uses unlikely people. And he talked about Paul. We're going to talk about Paul today. Again, Paul, an unlikely person. Saul of Tarsus, persecuting Christians, but now used by God, transformed completely. And then Jack talked about Jesus using encouragement to change the world. And the story about Barnabas, and he talked about God's providence, the way God reaches down and uses people like you and I to do his work and to pour into each other. Encouragement. And then last week, Pastor Brad talked about using worship. Jesus uses worship to change the world, and he talked about prayer and praise and how that should be our response to the challenges that we face in life. And then he said something about angry music, but we won't go there. (laughs) And this week, we're going to talk about Jesus using community to change the world. But before you do, let me pray for us. Father, thank you so much for today. And thank you for the opportunity to gather with and for you. Thank you for all my friends that are here. For the next bit of time, I would ask that you open our hearts, ears, and minds so that as we hear your word, that it will sink deeply into our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, Amen. amen. So, community, the big idea this week. So what do we do when you want to find a definition? Google. I googled community. And of course, dictionary.com says, a group of people living in the same place or having a particular characteristic in common. A feeling of fellowship with others. Sharing common attitudes, interests, and goals. Community. A group. Now, we could have a group that, like I like birds, bird watchers. You have a group of bird watchers, right? Or how about my golf league? 
On Tuesday, woo, Tuesday nights, I play golf. That's a community, a community of men golfing together. What separates the kind of community we're going to talk about today from that is the Greek translation of community, which is koinonia. Koinonia. Christian fellowship, or a body of believers sharing in a common religious commitment. A community of faith. A community centered around Jesus. Now before we we get into God's word, I have to share a little something with you. So I have grown up having this love for the outdoors. I absolutely love God's creation. The ecosystems, the environment, the animals, the birds, the plants, the trees, the way things interact, their relationship with each other and their relationship with his creation. And coincidentally, as I'm thinking about this the other day and this message, my son-in-law, Brandon, says, Randall, the kids say it that way, Randall, a little, with a little emphasis on the end, I said, yes. He said, what was your favorite subject in high school? And I said, biology, without hesitation. He said, why? And I used those same explanations that I use for you, that I just love the outdoors and the environment and all God's creatures and the way they interact in their relationship to one another. So today, as I was thinking, or the other day when I was thinking about that and talking with Brandon, I thought of the giant sequoia. Anybody ever seen a giant sequoia? All right, yeah, handful of people. I haven't seen them in person. It's on my bucket list. But the thing about the giant sequoia that's so cool is they grow to be 250 to 300 feet tall. Now, let me put that in perspective for you. A 10-story building is 100 to 120 feet. The Statue of Liberty, 305 feet. 151, the statue, and the pedestal, 154. You get my point, right? They're tall, super tall. One would think about a tall tree like that, that its roots would go deep, deep, down into the ground to hold that huge structure up. You know, some of these trees are 30 feet in diameter at at the base. They've carved, you can see online, they've carved uh, like tunnels in them so you can drive cars through them. What's interesting is their root system isn't that way at all. The next picture shows beneath the ground. You see above the ground... They're individual trees growing tall, just like we we talked about. But beneath the ground, their roots do not grow deep, deep, deep as we think they might. They grow out. And why do they grow out? So they can connect with each other. These trees use their root system to form a community. They intertwine and connect with each other, a community that protects them, that helps them thrive. Strong winds, severe weather. They're connected, intertwined with each other, and so they protect each other so that they can grow and flourish. Remember that as we go through the word today. The verses we're going through today, if you want to open your Bible, are, we're at Acts 20, and we're going to look at verses 16 through 38. Now, that's a lot of verses, so bear with me. 
We'll get to it together. Verse 16. Paul had decided to sail on past Ephesus, for he didn't want to spend any more time in the province of Asia. Province of Asia, what we would recognize as modern-day Turkey. He was hurrying to get to Jerusalem, if possible, in time for the festival of Pentecost. But when we landed, notice the we, showing us that Luke was with him, and Miletus, he sent a message to the elders of the church at Ephesus, asking them to come and meet him. So Paul's hurrying. If he, he knows if he would have stopped in Ephesus, given his time there with the Ephesian people, he's going to be there a while. And that's not what he wants. He does not want to miss the Pentecost, so he's hurrying by. And then he sends word to the elders that he wants to see them. It's a 30-mile walk from Ephesus down to Miletus. And they did it. Obviously, they loved Paul. Verse 18, when they arrived, he declared, You know, from the day I set foot in the province of Asia until now, I have done the Lord's work. Humbly and with many tears, I've endured the trials that came to me from the plots of the Jews. When I read that, I read verse 19 over again, and I was thinking, Lord's work humbly, that is an example of Paul. Paul did the Lord's work for the Lord, not for himself. Never taking credit. Remember his conversion. An unlikely person now, totally dedicated to a life with God and for God. And with many tears, what does that tell us? Paul spent years with the Ephesian people, and he had compassion for them, love, empathy. Verse 20, he goes on, I never shrank back from telling you what you needed to hear, either publicly or in your homes. I've had one message for Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says, he uses the word shrank. He never backed up from telling people what they needed to hear. Notice publicly or in your homes, lots of house churches. Paul, we read in Ephesians that Paul was preaching sometimes six days a week, teaching, instructing them in the public, wherever they would meet or gather, and then in people's houses. And his, his message was simple and very clear. Repenting from sin and turning to God and having faith in our Lord Jesus. Living a life with the people from Ephesus, teaching God's message. 22, and now I'm bound by the Spirit to go to Jerusalem. I don't know what awaits me, except that the Holy Spirit tells me in city after city that jail and suffering lie ahead. But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned to me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. And I was reminded of 2 Timothy 4.7, where Paul refers to his work as a race. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. Teaching people about the good news of Jesus. Verse 25. 
And now I know that none of you to whom I have preached the kingdom will ever see me again. I declare today that I've been faithful. And if anyone suffers eternal death, it's not my fault. For I didn't shrink, use that word again, from declaring all that God wants you to know. He's been faithful. He didn't shrink from his duty. And he says, if you don't get it, not my fault. What it looks like, Paul emulating a life of what it looks like to follow Jesus. 28. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock, his church, purchased with his own blood, over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you leaders. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among after you, after I leave, not sparing the flock. Remember Paul's talking to the church leaders, calling them to be like shepherds, feed, lead, and protect. I thought of, we have visual aids with our message, this picture that hangs in my office. And I'll just be like Vanna. Rock along. This is called The Shortening Winter Day is Near. It was painted in 1903 by Joseph Farquhasen. He's depicting a winter scene and a shepherd, if you can't see it, feeding his flock. When we got this picture, Pastor Brad and I stood and both of us were standing in awe because he said first, what do, you, what do you see? What do you see? What do you think of? And I said, I don't know. What do you see? He goes, no, you go first. I said, we thought of Jesus and the sheep. You know, the Bible talks about the flock, guarding the flock, feeding them. Feed my sheep. And you know, there are times when, even though Paul was talking to the leaders in Ephesus, we all have to lead, right? We all have to step up to help the people, the sheep that God puts in our lives, the flock. I'm reminded, too, of John 21, verses 15 to 17, when Jesus asked Peter, Peter, son of John, do you love me? And he asked him three times, and Peter says, of course, Jesus, you know that I love you. And how does he conclude? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Evil, the evil one will always be among us. There will always be persecution and trials. But together, we can defeat the enemy. And we all must be shepherds. Verse 30. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. Watch out and remember the three years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you day and night and many tears for you. Again, Paul emphasizes the relationships, the connecting with the people from Ephesus, teaching them, feeding them, loving them, caring them, sharing empathy and compassion. And now I entrust you to God and the message of his grace that is able to build you up and give you an inheritance 
with all those he has set aside, he has set apart from himself. I've never coveted anyone's silver or gold or fine clothes. Paul is charging the leaders to lead, to shepherd the flock. You know that these hands of mine have worked to supply my own needs and even the needs of those who were with me. And I have been a constant example of how you can help those in need by working hard. You should remember the words of the Lord Jesus. It is more blessed to give than to receive. I read that a couple times. I got stuck on more blessed. I'm, I'm trying really hard to be blessed, but to be more blessed? I think we want some of that. Be more blessed. When we had finished speaking, he knelt and prayed with them. They all cried as they embraced and kissed him goodbye. And they were sad, most of all because he had said that they would never see him again. And then they escorted him down to the ship. Paul's relationship with these believers is a beautiful example of a genuine Christian community. For years he poured into them. He was definitely a living example of what a life dedicated to following Jesus looks like. His love for them was definitely a reflection of the love of Jesus. Four takeaways that I want to emphasize for you uh, that, I, that came from Paul this week. On the back of your weekly, there's some blank space for notes if you'd like to take notes. And the first one I thought of was the importance of having a servant's heart. Remember we read in Acts 20, 35, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And I was reminded of Mark 9, 35. Jesus sat down, he called the 12 disciples over to him and said, whoever wants to be first must take last place and be the servant of everyone else. Jesus, the serving Lord. He humbly served others, not for himself, not to give glory to himself, but to glory and honor the Father. He taught six days a week in public and in homes, preaching the gospel to people. Like Paul, we all need to make sure that we have a servant heart. And serving for reasons other than the joy and fulfillment that we get from obeying Jesus. A servant's heart. Number two, our call to share Jesus with others. Acts 20, 21, we read, I have had one message for you, Jews and Greeks alike, the necessity of repenting, from sin and turning to God, and of having faith in our Lord Jesus. And then the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 19, and 20. Jesus said, Therefore go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In our devotional this week, in the daily, Pastor Don wrote about and challenged us to look for opportunities to share Jesus with others. 
You see, Paul's life was dedicated to sharing Jesus. It's obvious that he cared for others. He preached boldly in an effort to witness for Jesus in all the world. We need to make sure that we are answering the call to share Jesus with others. Number three, to live a life that reflects the love of Jesus. We read in Acts 20, 31, watch out. Remember the years I was with you, my constant watch and care over you, night and day, and my many tears for you. And then I thought of Matthew 22, 37 to 39. Jesus replied, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And this is the first and greatest commandment. A second is equally important. Love your neighbor as yourself. Doing life together. Doing our part. Shepherding. Leading. Protecting. Feeding. Paul loved them because they belonged to Jesus. Look out for those whom God has placed in your path. Remember, people don't care what you know until they know you care. People don't care what you know until they know you care. Paul obviously cared. And they cared about what he knew. And then number four, the importance of being in community. Our big idea today, that idea of community. So guard yourselves and God's people. Feed and shepherd God's flock. His church purchased with his own blood over which the Holy Spirit has appointed you leaders. 1 Corinthians 12, 27. All of you together are Christ's body and each of you is a part of it. You see, we were designed to be in community with one another, connected in Jesus, helping each other, sharing life, celebrating protecting each other, growing together spiritually, edifying one another. I was reminded of a quote by Eugene Peterson. There can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in Christian life apart from an immersion in and embrace of community. I am not myself by myself. I am not myself by myself. Please don't confuse. You know, Jesus showed us that you need to be alone with the Father. That's not what I'm saying here. We need to be in community, but we also need time alone with the Father. But we step away and we spend time with him, praying, worshiping. We need to spend time with Jesus, but we're not designed to live this life alone. Which takes me back to the giant sequoia. Individual trees connected with one another with a root system that's intertwined, wrapping around each other so they can grow, so they can grow and flourish, protecting them from that which might harm them. You know, we say it all the time, life change happens. Oh, come on. Life change happens best. It's our relationship with God and our relationships with each other. We say this all the time. This life change happens best. We talk about it. But as I was sitting there thinking this, what does it look like? Right? We might be sitting there thinking, okay, 
Yeah, I, I hear you. I hear what, that's, what those words say. But what does it look like? And I thought of this last Monday night. You see that food pantry bag there? Last Monday night was a culmination of probably 150 or more of you that went out and filled these bags with food for Thanksgiving and brought it to church. And then about 25 to 30 people ordered food, picked it up, delivered it, brought it to church, separated it, bagged it all up, and gave it out to about 200 families so that they could have a Thanksgiving dinner. We had cars snake through the parking lot like a coil. At 6.15, I looked out here. We've got people backed up into Lasky, and they're down six houses this way, and I about freaked out. So I'm out there trying to direct traffic, yelling, oh, move them forward, move them forward. Those people coming together to serve in a community, not because of themselves, not for how they would feel, but to glorify God. And at the end of that night, there was a thank you written, and the next morning I read it with tears in my eyes. Because it was not just a thank you to the, all the people that donated food, the people that came and packaged it and purchased it and delivered it and all that. It was a thank you to God for the opportunity to serve him and serve his kingdom. That's part of what it looks like. But you know what? There are other examples, and I'm looking across the room, and I won't get them all, but I see men who gather and meet because they're trying to defeat a sin addiction. I see a woman who's reading a book so that she can take a new believer through a book because she wants to learn how to follow Jesus. I see a child who convinced her mother and father that there was a family that needed help and they looked into that, and it was true, and they did need help. And then that started a whole myriad of events across this church to help them. I see women gathering. I see weekly over 300 people gathering in life groups, share life together. And I could go on and on with the examples. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. People serving with gratitude just for the opportunity to serve and give God the glory. I see people serving in our kids' ministry. People serving coffee so that we can all have a nice warm cup of coffee on a cold winter day. Amen. Thank you for that. People coming together, committed, intertwined, connecting, committed to a, to a space to grow building campaign so that we can share Jesus with others in this community for years to come. That's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. Coming together on Sunday is just the beginning. Being together between Sundays, being together between Sundays changes Everything. Between Sundays, we share our best moments and our worst. 
but all the time we're discovering together is always better. We're always better together. Life between Sundays and all those examples, what do we call it? Church. Church. Church.